From St. Mary's University of Minnesota, you're listening to St. Mary's Currents. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. In this episode, we discuss one of the defining topics of our time, climate change. According to NASA, Earth's surface temperature has risen two degrees Fahrenheit since the late 19th century, with most warming occurring over the last 40 years. The effects of climate change can be seen all over, from warming oceans to shrinking ice sheets to the retreat of glaciers worldwide. One person who has seen the devastation up close is Andy Robertson, who is the Executive Director of Geospatial Services, the on-campus project center that works in the areas of natural resource assessment, geographic analysis, and contemporary mapping. Robertson joins me today to talk about what he and his colleagues see in the field, how geospatial technology can be used to track the effects of climate change, and why a local response to climate change is important. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I really enjoyed the opportunity I had last fall to interview you and learn more about the work Geospatial Services does. And I think our guests will really enjoy learning about that work as well. But first, could you just introduce yourself, what you do at St. Mary's, and tell us a little bit about your background? Oh, sure thing, Ben. And again, thanks very much for the opportunity to come on and and speak to our listeners today. It's really exciting for me. My name is Andy Robertson, and I'm the Executive Director of Geospatial Services here at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. My educational background is in environmental science and forestry. I'm actually a registered professional forester. My undergraduate degree is in environmental science, and then I have done graduate work in forestry, all of which was done in Canada before I moved to the United States and became an American citizen. So I came here specifically to join St. Mary's and to help building geospatial services. Well, we're happy to have you here at St. Mary's and happy to have you on the podcast today. All right. So you kind of went over a little bit about geospatial services, but for folks, again, who may not know, can you explain what geospatial services does as well as kind of the emerging field of geospatial technology? Absolutely. So As I mentioned before, providing experience for students is a really key part of what we do. We are lucky in that we work in a technological field that is continuing to emerge now. It's been around for plus or minus 30 years already, but the application of that technology to a variety of disciplines is what's changing and changing dramatically at this point. Um, You know, it used to be that the technology was applied in the natural resource field. That's kind of where it started. But It spans banking and emergency services and real estate and business and a bunch of other areas that are really pertinent to much of what our entire student population studies. So the access to that technology is really key to what we do in addition to providing experience in a workplace. We do that by getting project work. And so our partners are anybody from the federal government and state government and local government through to some of the largest business names in the country, British Petroleum, for example. And we work with a number of different consulting companies, engineering companies like Stantec and Wolpert. So the exposure for our students is not just to the technology and to the business, but also to our network of clients and partners across the country, which uh, provides them with opportunity upon graduation. All right. So with that introduction, I think we can dive into our main topic for the day, climate change. I think most of our listeners are familiar with the topic as it's regularly found in headlines. So I think we can kind of skip discussing what is climate change. And instead, can you kind of talk about 
the work geospatial services does uh, that is tied to the topic of climate change and how geospatial technology can be used to study it? Sure. A big issue, obviously, uh, something that is critically important to our society and especially our students as they go forward into our society, but also to the world as a whole because of the various impacts that we see already on the landscape and what is projected to come. Geospatial services works primarily in the natural resource arena. So because natural resources are exposed directly to climate, there are significant impacts that show up very quickly in that world that may not be noticeable necessarily by the general population. I've seen a number of interesting graphs over the years. One of them was a very good visual that kind of projected climate migration north in the latitudes. So if you picture North America with Florida and the Gulf of Mexico at the bottom, and then, you know, the Canadian and U.S. border in the middle and then the, the Arctic regions in the top. This graph showed the migration of climate patterns northwards so that in the next 20 years, uh, Minnesota, for example, is projected to be experiencing the same climate that Missouri has right now. So if you think about that in terms of what that means, not just for humans, but what it means for wildlife populations who lose the habitat that they've come to depend on, the only way that they can keep up with that habitat is to migrate north. And how do they know they're supposed to migrate north? So so there are very real impacts, uh, not just on wildlife, but on vegetation communities, on hydrology, on natural systems, a number of different areas. That's key to what we work on. So a lot of the work that we get our students doing at geospatial services is in the natural resource inventory world, particularly one of our core services. We are the the largest producer in the country of something called the National Wetlands Inventory. That's data that describes wetland location and characteristics on the landscape. Well, wetlands are one of the most productive natural habitats on the landscape as well. And because of that, they are almost immediately affected by climate impacts. One of the things, we always talk about climate warming, that's only one aspect of climate change. Climate variability is probably the the larger impact, and that is changes in precipitation regimes. So it either rains more or less in a particular location. Changes in temperature, it's either colder or warmer. All of those have direct impacts on wetlands and the habitat that they provide for fish and wildlife species, as well as the water quality benefits that they provide. So we see those impacts immediately. Uh, Right now, for example, we've been working in a wetland landscape in North Dakota. Uh, The plant communities in those wetlands just over a 10-year period have changed from what they had been for millennia to something completely different. We've got invasive species coming in that, that don't have competitors in the landscape because they've been able to capitalize on this climate change regime, move from their original location, and now they're somewhere where they have no competition. So, hey, what do they do? They take off. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's things like that that are very real harbingers of, of what's happening on the landscape. Geospatial services works a lot in Alaska. In fact, this summer I go on my 40th trip to that oh, wow. state, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, it's been a lot of fun, but I've also seen a ton of change over that time over the last 25 years. The work that we're doing highlights that change and the changes are happening faster in the higher latitudes. So in, you know, in Alaska, which starts at about 48 degrees north, 50 degrees north, uh, north to the uh, to the poles and to the polar regions, change is happening at a much more rapid rate up there. Uh, 
affecting both natural communities and humans. So just kind of tying into what you mentioned there, you know, I know geospatial services does regular field work all over the country. I mean, can you tell me a little more about what you're seeing on the ground when it comes to the effects of climate change? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll probably circle back to Alaska initially, because again, those are where the most dramatic effects are, are taking place right now. From a human standpoint, we're working with indigenous communities on the western coast of Alaska, above the Arctic Circle, but still within the tree line, so fairly high up. These are communities that have maintained a subsistence lifestyle um, for millennia, meaning that they live primarily off of their natural resources, whether it's fish out of the ocean or vegetative species out of the, the land or whatever it might be. They're dependent on the natural system for their subsistence lifestyle. On the West Coast, the storm frequency and in particular the winds that are affecting that coastline have changed dramatically over the last several years. So now we've got higher intensity storms with larger amounts of precipitation hitting that coastline with up to 100 mile an hour winds behind them. And those winds are pushing the ocean up over what traditionally was land and inundating large areas that these communities had previously subsisted in. Now you think, okay, maybe the biggest impact of that is flooding. And it is because communities are being flooded out and they're no longer habitable. But it's also landing saltwater into freshwater environments, which has a huge impact on vegetation communities, wildlife species, the things that these people are dependent on. So not only are they being flooded out, but they're being starved out because they cannot any longer live the subsistence lifestyle that they, that they previously did. And so at a cost of millions of dollars, the government of Alaska, the state government and the federal government are taking entire villages and moving them to different locations because of this problem. So it's a combination of climate warming, sea level rise, and change in climate extremes. And it's it's basically forcing people out. Wow. So that's just one example from Alaska. There's lots of others. People have probably heard about permafrost, which is the layer of frozen ground that underlays pretty much all of Arctic Alaska. That's a layer of ice, and it's formed by continuous temperatures below freezing uh, so that the layer on top, the layer of soil and trees and shrubs and things that are on top, subsist in a very shallow layer of soil and then there's ice and that ice is permanently frozen. Well, I think everybody can envision what happens when you add water to ice. Ice becomes 10 times more slippery when it's got water on it than, than when it doesn't. So what's happening with permafrost is that the vegetation sitting on top of it is warming and it's warming that layer where it interacts with the ice, creating a layer of water. So it's decreasing the holding strength of that particular layer. So if you're on any kind of slope, and let's say you've got a mature stand of trees sitting on top of ice, ice that now has a layer of water in between it, that whole slope slides away. And when it does, it becomes an avalanche and takes everything, everything away with it and exposes the ice, which of course causes the ice to melt even faster, which releases greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Um, we visited one spot a couple of years ago in the Arctic where this had happened and the landslide was so significant it was the size of seven football fields um, that it blocked an entire river system and it stopped fish passage migration, it stopped subsistence lifestyle, it basically dammed the river um, until somebody could go in and clear it out. We'll be right back in a minute.
separate yourself from the rest and take your career to the next level with an online degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Nationally ranked and fully accredited, our programs are student-centered with faculty that infuse practical career experience into their teaching and engage in their disciplines. Set your own schedule with our flexible online platform and access your coursework anywhere. With our selection of affordable online degree programs, promising career opportunities will follow. Explore what's next at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Back in August, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a report that human-caused emissions of greenhouse gases are overwhelmingly what's causing climate change. You look at other studies that have found, I believe it's 97% of climate scientists agree that global warming trends over the past century are due to human activities. Is there anything in the science that geospatial services is using that kind of shows human activities are involved in climate change, or are you more kind of focused on the effects of climate change? Yeah, that's a really good question, Ben. And, and there are there are certainly indicators that we are seeing and that we're measuring that are direct uh, responses to climate change. We were involved in a study several years ago now with the National Park Service to record through time images of glaciers in Alaska and looking for change in those features over very short periods of time. I mean, the glacier that we were working on in Denali National Park had been in place for over 10,000 years since the last ice age. And we were hired to document change in that over a period of a decade. And so we have a series of photographs now that, that show exactly what's happening with that glacier, you know, how the ice is melting, where the meltwater is going and how it's impacting the surrounding landscape. We see examples like that across all of the project areas we work in. We just finished some major project work in New Mexico. These are very arid landscapes, so water is critical to all types of life in those landscapes, both human and, and non-human. We have documented evidence of areas where there was water previously that is no longer wet and will no longer be wet because either the, the climate regime has changed, so it's not getting rainfall and snowpack anymore, or it's been overutilized by human consumption. So those are the indicators, and we see them all the time. Human use in particular, we document in a lot of different locations. We know, for example, in Alaska, that if you expose permafrost, you're going to express greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. The ice, because it's frozen, holds organic matter and holds those gases within the ice. As long as it's frozen, they don't escape. But as soon as it starts to melt, they escape. And all you're doing is exacerbating what humans are already contributing to the atmosphere through their own greenhouse gases emissions by now creating a natural source of greenhouse gas and basically uh, exponentially increasing the problem. So water usage is another one of those. There are lots of areas in the, in the arid west where we're using groundwater at an alarming rate because surface water is declining. So we're pumping groundwater onto fields to grow food, a noble goal because we need to feed our population. But at the same time, that groundwater is a finite resource. And there are lots of areas in the arid west now where the aquifers, the underground storage areas for that water, are running dry. And so we have entire communities built around an agricultural lifestyle that no longer support agriculture anymore because there's no water. And so those are the real clear indicators of the impact that humans are having on the landscape and how it contributes to, to climate change, climate warming. Absolutely. So a report published back in January by the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication found a record number of Americans are now alarmed about the climate crisis. According to the study, six in 10 Americans are either alarmed or concerned about climate change. 
As someone who works in the environmental science field and has focused quite a bit of their work on climate change, what do you think it is that is making more and more Americans and people even globally concerned about this phenomenon? Well, I think there's a, a number of answers to that question. I think I think the evidence that's that's available now is irrefutable. Whether you agree that it's caused by human consumption and emission or whether you think that it's caused by natural sources or maybe a combination of the two, there's no doubt that change is happening and it's happening rapidly. You can see it in the average temperature numbers. You can see it in the ocean temperatures. You can see it in evidence of permafrost melt and glacial recession, water system drying out in the arid west. The evidence is all over the place. Some of the most significant issues that have yet to be revealed or at least understood, I think, by the general public are ocean acidification, which is going on at an alarming rate, uh, which is affecting fish populations across the globe in the ocean. They're very, very intolerant to changes in salt water. And that's exactly what's changing as a result of climate change. And so fish populations are dying off in areas and ocean vegetation is dying off and other ocean species are dying off. I mean, it's, that one doesn't get a lot of play, but it's, it's going to be a really significant impact to the planet as we move forward. So I think the evidence is there. Everything gets complicated by politics. You know, we've, got, we've got an economy that's based on consumption. We produce goods, we utilize goods. We don't have a long enough personal time frame to really evaluate what our individual impacts are like on a natural system that's responding over 200 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 or 10,000 years. We're here for a very brief period of time. So it's really convenient to think, you know, my impact's not going to be that great. I'm only here for 70, 80, 100 years. So I'm going to kind of do what I want and and the rest of society is doing what they want, so I'll just be one of those. The really important message is that incremental change, even if it's a small increment, makes a difference. And as it grows, the collective change is significant. And we all need to be aware of it, and everybody needs to contribute to it, because there isn't any burying our head in the sand. So really, the change has to start from the bottom up with every individual and the top down with our political leaders and our national leaders. That's the only way we're going to start to get our arms around things. All right. So I read an interesting article in the Star Tribune that talked about how cities in Minnesota are beginning to take more steps to address and combat climate change. So far, 16 cities in Minnesota have declared a climate emergency. I understand that Geospatial Services partners with Sustain Winona, a group of public and private organizations that have come together to address climate change. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the work you do with Sustain Winona and why it's important we start considering how we can address climate change at a local level. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned incremental improvements earlier on, and that is something that I feel really strongly about. You know, one of the biggest questions we each as individuals have is how can we contribute? What can we do? What can we change? The Sustain Winona organization was basically collaborative of some of the largest institutions in Winona, both public and private, to come together in the community and start to look at what we could do as individuals and as organizations to locally improve or create resiliency for climate change. And each of the organizations committed to making some of those changes internally. Um, for example, 
Winona State, Southeast Tech, and St. Mary's were the three large post-secondary institutions that were part of it. The County of Winona was part of it. The Winona Area Public Schools was part of it. Uh, Fastenal was part of it, and so on. Um, the three institutions got together, looked at our facilities, and said, where can we start to look at incremental changes in how we do things, and that will ultimately collectively play a part in mitigating climate change. So one of the things we looked at, for example, were light bulbs. You know, it sounds like a simple thing, right? But you look at the number of light bulbs that are present in every one of those institutions and there's safety issues, there's athletic requirements, there's classroom requirements, it spans everything. But there is a huge incremental savings in power consumption by replacing every one of the traditional incandescent light bulbs with a high efficiency, in that case, fluorescent light bulb or compact fluorescence, whatever the current technology was, we could see dramatic changes in power consumption just by doing that. It's low-hanging fruit, right? Collectively, as a group working with Sustain Winona, we were able to look at a variety of different areas that provided that same type of impact. Fleet vehicles, for example, if we could start to convert fleet vehicles from gasoline to some other power source, maybe it's a hybrid power source. Working in a collaborative like Sustain Winona, we were able to bring together the collective expertise of a variety of organizations and really look at some of the, the low-hanging fruit, but then the longer-term changes that we could undertake to make a difference in local climate change. Solar power, you know, one of the biggest big implementations from the, the county side was to start implementing solar farms across the county and partnering with, with solar companies to start feeding uh, solar-derived energy into the power grid for the community, but also for the state. Water management, you know, looking at high-efficiency shower heads and faucets and toilets and that kind of thing so that we're not using as much water and the water that we're putting back is cleaner than was previously being put in. So all of those incremental changes by getting together this collaborative of the largest organizations in the city have had a significant impact on climate change and climate resiliency for our community. Now, do you see that reflected? You know, maybe not directly. But if you think about solar energy, for example, what you're doing by taking those solar farms and feeding them into the statewide power grid is you're allowing them to take offline fossil fuel electrical power generation. So maybe the power plant doesn't run as often as it did in the past. So that's how it ties back in. And it really is empowering when you think of it in those terms that we sitting here can make a difference just by making some of those low-hanging fruit changes. Well, Andy, thank you so much. It was great having you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. St. Mary's Currents is a production of the St. Mary's University of Minnesota Office of Marketing and Communication. It is produced by Ben Rogers and Deb Nergang. It is recorded, edited, and engineered by Jeffrey DeMarsh. Our theme music is written by Will Van de Cromert. I'm Ben Rogers. We'll see you next time for St. Mary's Currents.